Colby, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. I really, really appreciate it. And I wonder if we could just start with maybe you just giving a, a little synopsis for those that don't know who you are. Um, who are you? What are you about? Um, why do you do what you do? Sure. A couple of uh, thanks, Phil, for having me on. This is great. I love it. Um, yeah, a couple of the basics is, by way of introduction is my name is Colby Martin. I'm uh, married to my wife, Kate, uh, for 15 years now. Uh, together, her and I started a church about five years ago here in San Diego, southern part of California. And uh, So we jealous, by the way. San Diego is my favorite city. <laughs> so. you, I don't, I don't want to encourage jealousy, but I, I want to affirm that that jealousy is well uh, yeah. placed. Well, if you there was a way for me to get a visa and or illegally smuggle myself in, I'd be there. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Yeah, so I'm, I'm a co-pastor with my wife. Um, we have four boys uh, that we have brought into the world. Well, we is a loose term. I guess she did most of the bringing into the world. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I wrote a book. My first book came out two years ago. Uh, my second book is currently uh, in progress of being oh, written. Fantastic. Uh, I've got a, a due date here in a couple months. I got to kind of crank, crank that thing out. Um, those are a couple of the basics. So I, uh, oh, my wife and I also do a, a podcast together called The Kate and Colby Show, where we talk about uh, all of life things through a progressive Christian lens. Okay. But in terms of the uh, kind of the non-bio demographic things, um, I, don't, I don't really know who I am right now. I've, <laughs> I'm in a season of unknowing. I've spent uh, about 32 years of my life, I'm 36 right now, about the first 32 years carefully constructing various ideas and images that I want to project into the world of who I am. And it's only been in the last couple of years that I've been doing some through therapy and uh, meditative practices, really exploring who I am. So I know a lot mm. more about who I'm not right now, Phil, than, I, who, wow. than, who I, than who I am. So my hope is, uh, whatever, a couple of years from now, I'll be able to answer that question a little more <laughs> precisely. Uh, but right now, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know who I am. So Dude, that's I awesome. I love it. Join the club. Join the club. Um, a couple of podcasts back, I had a pastor um, from out on the East Coast, and uh, he had a full-blown, he was really successful, big big church. He was traveling all over the States, preaching, and you know, just seeing amazing stuff happen. And uh, he went, crashed hard, ended up in a mental asylum, like, you know, like really full-on. Um, and we talked extensively about this, this kind of like, this idea that we create this this image of who I am um, and what is that? You know, when you start to start picking away at it, you know, you start to realize, wait, who am I? Or you start thinking about the thoughts in your head and you're going, wait, who's evaluating the thought I'm having right now? You know, it's like, wait, wait which, which me is me, right? The one that had that thought or the one that didn't like that thought? Is that me or is that me? Or are they both me? You know, and you start to kind of untangle and you go, what, who am I? Like, what? I don't know. I, I love kind of like those kind of big, philosophical metaphysical kind of questions of yeah. like who are we um yeah and so i mean you mentioned your your um progressive christian church right now i mean that's not always been your your expression of, of who you are of, of christianity as well as that being a big part of like um kind of working out who you are as well but being in a new expression of church would you say and we've just completely yeah. dove in the deep end here but no no, no it's good it's good um <laughs> What I'd say is, is being in community right now with the people 
um, that are part of our church has given me the space to safely do the exploration of who I am. Mm-hmm. So, which is slightly different than saying that the journey into progressive Christianity uh, was the catalyst for some of this exploration. Um, I don't know that that's as much true as, uh, yeah, as, as I described it in the first place. So, hmm. but you're absolutely right that, you know, I, I've only identified as a, a progressive Christian probably in the last six years or so. Um, so born and raised in a, in a conservative fundamental uh, Baptist environment. Uh, eventually that morphed into just kind of a, a generic evangelical Christian. Okay. Uh, and it was in that context that I either discovered or <laughs> decided upon my vocation, which was uh, to, I wanted to be a pastor and I learned that, uh, decided that when I was a senior in high school that I wanted to do ministry. Uh, I want to do at that time, I would have framed it differently. I would have framed it in terms of, I want to, you know, I want to convince people to, uh, to know Jesus as their savior and to save them from hell and have a life with God and all that stuff. So I might frame it differently now mm. in my life, but the, uh, but the underlying current, the, the, the base note of the whole thing, I think is still true, which is that to whatever degree I can help foster for people a, a deeper connection with the divine Mm. Um, that's, that's the space that interests me. I, I, I think I have, um, you know, to quote Liam Neeson, I think I have a special set of skills <laughs> that can, that can help, uh, in those spaces. So, yeah, so, so, so it was a journey for me of leaving evangelical Christianity, yeah. leaving conservative Christianity. Uh, there was definitely a deconstruction process that happened. Um, but I've spent the last several years now in, in some solid yeah. reconstruction phases. Yeah. So you, you were saying it, it, much less the, the denomination or the expression of Christianity is to do with community that you found that that's really helped you grow and kind of start finding space to explore who am I, ask the questions. Um, what, is, what does that look like? You know, is that something that you think could have existed in, the, in the, the churches you were in in the past? Maybe it did exist and it just, you know, you weren't in the right place at that time. Or, or what, what are your thoughts on that? That's a great question. And the answer is no, it, it could not have happened in previous uh, spaces. Wow. Could not have happened in previous church contexts. And here's why, because this journey into figuring out who I am, as opposed to all the images and the projections that I've created um, for myself, that journey happens through, um, you know, Brene Brown talks about vulnerability and that journey that happens through sort of a, uh, being okay and comfortable and safe with opening yourself up to others, well, to yourself and to others. And it is in that process of letting others into my life uh, and actually get to know the, the real me and um, reflect that back to me. That's the process that for me has begun to be so transformative. And I could not have done that in previous churches because that type of vulnerability, that type of authenticity, that type of connection simply wasn't available to me because it, I don't think the spaces were safe enough, especially not for a, a pastor, someone in a leadership position um, yeah. to, to express um, thoughts, questions, doubts that might have been threatening to people. So I couldn't, I really couldn't ever fully be myself in previous yeah. churches. Uh, yeah. And so it really was a, a context that perpetuated 
the, the, the keeping of the masks on and the projection yeah. of the images. Like it's a, it's a funky toxic system that, um, yeah. that I'm not willing to throw, I'm not willing to throw it all out uh, yeah. and say that it's all inherently broken, but definitely that aspect of it, which is yeah. we fear our leaders being vulnerable and real and human. And yeah. therefore I feared myself being human. So yeah, it's really only been in the last four and a half years since wow. we started our, our church that we've had a community where all of a sudden I can show up on a Sunday morning and say, uh, hey, friends, this is the last place I want to be right now. I've had a shit morning. Uh, it's been a hard week um, and I don't want to be here. I've got some notes some things I want to say. <laughs> I'll say them because I've prepared them for you. Just so you yeah. know, this is, this is really hard for, for me to be here. Wow. Um, and that's just one example. Like, that's kind of a, yeah. a cheesy public example. but. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's rare for most, uh, most pastors to be, to have the, the opportunity to be that raw and that real. Um, I, I just recently did a, a Q and a tour. Uh, it stands for questioning our answers as opposed to questioning <laughs> questions and answers. Cause I have no answers at all. I just like to throw questions mm-hmm. in and I cause everyone to have an existential crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did a tour of uh, new England and, uh, and that was one of the big questions. A lot of pastors were asking me cause it was more in a, in the conference. Most of the places, if I did do them in churches, sometimes I did meetings but in churches they were mostly in evangelical settings and the, the pastors are asking how do we how do we keep people engaged we're seeing a lot of people leave especially younger people you know in their 20s 30s they just so don't seem to be interested in what's going on here um and, and one of the questions i asked them consistently was how often do you share your doubts how often do you uh, you know admit i don't know the answer to this question, or I don't really like the answer I have to this question, or how often do they have a space where they're free to ask those questions and for it not to be a problem? Um, and, and it was really rare. Um, and these are the people that are asking me to come and do something like what I was doing. So these are probably people that are pushing it a little. Yeah, yeah. Um, and quite a few of them have actually started to engage with some of that, you know, creating some space for that. And, and it's been amazing to see that. And so um, I know you've got a heart for church. I know you've got a heart for even the expressions you've left. You've got a heart for them to flourish uh, as as best they can uh, uh, in as non-damaging a way as possible as well. I know in certain areas that's maybe less possible than not. But do you think that is something that, you know, it maybe is quite systemic to certain expressions of Christianity are very, we cannot show any weakness. We cannot show any doubt. We cannot have any questions, especially amongst leaders. Um, do you think that's something that can change or do you think it needs a cut and dry experience like you had where you had to kind of start something afresh that was kind of built from that from scratch? Do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. So there's two questions there. Uh, yeah. So the first, the first question you're really getting right at, at the heart of uh, what my next book is going to be about. Um, and the core, one of the core issues for me with where sort of the state of our church is at, is, and I don't know at what point this happened. I have some, some theories, some conjectures at what point in church history this happened. But at some point, um, we, being the collective keepers of the rules within Christianity, we either decided or developed some sort of conviction that the most important thing to God, the most important thing to the creator of the world, the, the one who's behind it all, has at God's most uh, highest priority, the most important thing is that we intellectually know the right answers. Mm. Like that is somehow we decided that what matters most to God is that we believe the right things. 
And I don't think that that is real or true. And I definitely don't think it's good in terms of like practically looking at how it has functioned and, how, and the fruit that that idea has borne has really been bad. Um, but somewhere along the line, we, we, uh, we have told ourselves that what God cares about most is that we have the right answers to things. Mm -hmm. And then, and then you can imagine uh, if, if that's what we think uh, is the most important to God, then what the next logical step is that we lock that sucker down. Like we get the right answer and then boom, like clamp it down, hold it tight. And then, and then any questioning of that, any doubting of that, any, um, any potential uh, rethinking becomes incredibly threatening because mm. if that thing that I believe is challenged or, or questioned or threatened in any way, that is fundamentally connected to my standing with God because I have, I have somehow yep. uh, convinced myself that what God cares about most is what I believe. So if my beliefs change, then now I feel like I'm potentially, uh, my standing with God is under attack. Um, and so, yes, that is... I think it makes a whole lot of sense to me that we have churches and church leaders and pastors who are afraid, maybe not consciously so, but they are afraid of um, not having the right answer. Uh, and yeah. so questions become, questions become existentially terrifying because yeah. for some reason we have decided that what God cares most about is that we believe the right things. I just think that's yeah. fundamentally not the case at all. Uh, but yeah. that's the course that we have sort of built the church on. And so we prioritize teaching, we prioritize right thinking. Um, yeah. And it has, it has significantly, uh, I think, damaged many, many people as a result. Yeah. No, I, I agree entirely. I mean, this, this is knowledge of good and evil, right? I mean, this is like we're fixated on the wrong tree. Instead of knowledge of that or the, the tree of life, we're fixated on what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is bad. It's it's God is this kind of ethical monster in the sky that's kind of you know picking what. And like you said, it creates this existential crisis where, gosh, if you question that thing and you turn out to be right, well, what does that mean for me? Because if it's if being whatever your concept of Christianity is, you know, going to heaven, being in right relationship with Jesus, whatever that is, if that's linked to us getting this right or wrong one of us isn't in and it better be you because I better be in, right? It's a building block of this whole us them mentality, right? It's why, you know, Catholicism, orthodoxy, you know, there's not many fragments. There's a lot of diversity within it. There's not many fragments. You get to um, Protestantism, right? Where suddenly it does become a lot more about, right, we need to have exactly the same belief concerning this book. Um, and suddenly you go, boom, 40,000 of us. <laughs> It's like, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I can yeah. see that because as soon as someone disagrees, you better go start the second Baptist church, you know, it's or whatever. All, you know? It's all about getting it right. All about yeah. getting it right. And I cannot for the life of me um, see how that lines up with the God as revealed in Jesus. If the author of Hebrews is correct, and I think – I think the author is probably correct that Jesus is the express image of God, the exact representation of God. Then the picture that we see of God in Jesus is not someone who cared about the right answer. Yeah. I mean, think about that, Phil. If, if what God cared about most was that we got the answers right, then we have to, with a straight face, say Jesus was a terrible teacher. Oh like yeah, that, absolutely. That has to be the conclusion <laughs> yeah. because the dude didn't write anything down. 
Therefore, he left it up to massive misinterpretation. Yeah. He taught primarily in parables, confusing parables. Yeah. Um, he, he came in an age and an era where there wasn't really any way to ensure that that information. The veracity of it. Or, yeah. Yes. So if what God cares about most is that we get it right, then Jesus fundamentally failed at that mission. Um, Absolutely. I love that. It's my favorite thing about Jesus is when they go, so Jesus, what the heck are you doing? Why are you talking about these parables? And he goes, oh, I'm doing it. So you have no idea what I'm talking about. I love that answer. It it just highlights like, this is not what I'm about, that you have the right thing. You can tick the box. You can put it in this category. No, the whole point of a parable is that you can find yourself as a different person in this story. Next time you read it, you can see it from a different angle and, um, that whole process of, of, you know, the Jews would come to scripture and they would look for at least seven uh, different ways to approach the text before they could claim their own. Um, and I love that, you know, it's like, what would Christianity look like if we all had that same approach rather than going, nope, that's the one way you can approach the scripture and that's it. The Bible says, <laughs> you know, yeah. so, we've got to, we've got to back away from this idea that God cares what we believe. I really, <laughs> I really can't like overemphasize that. We've got to back away from that. We've got to relax and be okay with uh, a God who is perhaps not interested in what we believe. Yeah. So how do you think that works? How do you think that happens? You know, I, I'm thinking of, so the reason I have you on this call, if people have not picked up. So your first book was about the topic of homosexuality. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, we haven't got so, that and, and you know, we don't have to talk about this at all because I think this is way more interesting to me and it's probably more interesting to you, right? Cause this is what you're writing your second book about. You're kind of done with the other one. I'm sure you've done talks forever about homosexuality. No, I, I mean, but <laughs> you're kind of right that my immediate focus has shifted, yeah. but as far as the topic of sexuality oh. in the church, like that's been my ministry for a couple of years of now. So I, yeah. I'm still every day receiving communications from people around the yeah. world. Uh, so I, no, I'm, yeah. I'm in it. I, I just mean, I, I, you know, I don't want to like, you know, this is great. I'm really excited. Yeah. But, but I well, guess connecting them, you know, I, I, I've just created a, a, a series of teaching looking at homosexuality for my audience. And my audience will be very diverse. They won't agree with you or me. And that's okay. That's, that's not, my goal is not to make people agree with me. Cause like you said, that is, I just don't think that's the point. I think the point yeah. is, can we have a discussion? Um, and I think that's a big step to begin with, getting people to that place. Can we have a discussion? Because most people, like you, you're talking about, you know, there's, the paradigm is there is no discussion. We open the Bible to end conversations. You know, Rob Bell uh, says it best when he says that, you know, you, the Jews open the Bible to have a discussion. Christians open the Bible to end the discussion. Um, and I think, how do, you, how, do we, how do we work? Because it's great for, you know, you have your church and that's wonderful. You can have these discussions. You can have these doubts and questions and that's wonderful for you and your community in San Diego, but just take a few steps down the road and you've got another community you come across and another one and another one. Um, and they aren't in that place. And yet we need to talk about sexuality. This is people are people are killing themselves. You know what I mean? This is not a, you know, well, yeah, this is, no, no, people are dying because of what certain people are saying or, you know, and um, so how can we start that ball rolling? How do we, how do we create and foster um, some level of, um, openness to discussion, to different views, to maybe starting to see that God isn't so fixated on right and wrong or, or you know, or specific um, absolute one point views of this scripture or that. And um, how, how do we start that ball rolling? Obviously, you have the answer to this question and the whole world will be fixed in your next sentence. But <laughs> I, I don't know if you've got some thoughts, insights. Maybe you're, you're, I'm sure you're dealing with this in San Diego. I'm sure that other churches in your community are 
discussing with you, connecting with you, maybe have problems with you, you know, like, because they're coming from a very different place. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry. I know it's just a whole bunch of. That's <laughs> no, great. Um, where do we start? I, for me, I, if I'm dealing with other people who identify as Christians, then I think the, the logical starting place for me is with the person of Jesus. And what does Jesus reveal to us about the heart of God? What does Jesus reveal to us as most important? Um, and I do not think, as we've already discussed, I do not think that's a theological discussion around different beliefs. I think those are interesting and we can have them and those should be had. But I think in terms of a starting place, um, if I'm just sitting across from another person who is wildly different uh, than I am on this, on this topic, I think where I'd want to at least start is what is, according to Jesus, what's, what matters most to God? Um, because that's where I think our aim should be. That's where, that's where we should be going and, and trust that the other things are sort of peripheral matters. And so for me, when I look at uh, Jesus, uh, I, I do my best to take him at his word when he said that the most important uh, command was to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. That those two things sum up the entire law. That that that, that really is the the aim. That you can get that right and get everything else wrong and you're fine. Is <laughs> really what I like to try to uh, tell people. Uh, you can get love uh, for God right, love for neighbor, and love for self right. And, and ultimately, um, it, it's irrelevant what else you believe. Mm. Um, so I like to start there. And, and then I like to also remind people uh, of some other things that Jesus said, such as people will know you are uh, followers of me um, in how you love, love people, not in how you get the answers right. This is just, again, not what Jesus cared about, is that we have the theology right. He cared about how we treated people. One of the only times Jesus spoke in like super judgy separating ways was the separation of the sheep and the goats. And, and, the, and the thing that it all hinged on was how people acted, how they lived out their love, not whether they had the right answers. Lord, Lord, we, you know, we, we, we did things in your name. We had the answers right. It just really isn't what seems to matter to Jesus. And therefore, I think what matters to God. So if we can at least agree that what matters most is love, that love as the path, so love of God, neighbor and self as the path, and then love as the destination, love as the ultimate goal, mm -hmm. um, then I think we can at least now start to have a conversation of, okay, so then what might that actually look like? Um, and how might particular ways of reading six verses in the Bible impact and prevent people from um, living out that sort of love? Because I think it has. I think those six verses that oftentimes get called the, or have been called the clobber passages, those have created for people a justification for their non-loving behavior. Yeah. Because they see, oh, look, here's some words uh, that we can now use to justify our discrimination. Um, yeah. and, and, and we feel okay. We don't feel any cognitive dissonance in that because here are these words in the Bible that sort of assuage our anxiety within us. So. Um, but anyway, so but it's got to start for me with uh, with love, and it's got, and I find that through mm. the teachings and the life of Jesus. And I know it sounds super like cliche to just boil it all down to love, <laughs> but I feel like our fear of the simplicity of it, 
our, our, our fear is that that's, that's way too easy. It can't be that easy. It can't be that simple. So we muck it up with a whole bunch of other nuanced layers, but, um, yeah. Which is funny, right? Because you, 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 you just read that passage, like love the Lord, your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And by the way, your neighbor is your worst enemy as well. Just reading those two, like, I'm done, right? If I commit my life just to that, I'm going to screw up. <laughs> I've still mm-hmm. not got much hope at most days. You know, it's That's only because That's, yeah. he loves me first. If I can yeah. just focus on that, maybe I'll have a good opportunity to flow out and give some of that in my overflow. But man, like, never mind all the other stuff, right? If, I, if we just focus on that, we're, we're struggling as best the days, you know? Um, and, and I think we, we forget, you know, like that, that simple thing, it's not so simple actually a lot of the time because no. we have so much baggage, so much hurt, so much wounds, you know, like a lot of, the, you know, the cognitive dissonance that you're talking about, you know, it's, it's painful to change some of these ways we think to yeah. accept that maybe some of the, the ways that we've been brought up, the things that we've held to believe are maybe not true, that they're maybe damaging, that they're maybe hurting ourselves, that maybe hurting other people around us, like that's a painful process to walk. Um, and I think it's important that, you know, when you and I talk about um, a group of people that maybe hold a very different view, it's not in a judgmental, like, how dare you? It's very much a, people are, fru- uh, you know, they're, they're fruits of their situation. They, they're products of their environment. They're products of their lives. Like um, there's, there's, there's always possibility to change, but at the same time, they couldn't be anything else than they are right now mm-hmm. than they are because mm-hmm if you or me were born that person and went through exactly the same situations, we'd be that person. Um, and so I, I think it's, it's not, it's not in this judgmental sense that, um, that, that we say any of that, but I think, yeah, I, I think you're right on, you know I mean? It's, it's, it's love, it's love, it's love. Um, absolutely. Um, and yeah, that's going to be, absolutely problematic. I'm sure you've come across that right when dealing with different people that are in a very different place that, you can say, oh, well, surely, you know, ultimately it's, it's all about this. Um, I'm sure there's plenty of people that go, mm, kind of, but no, there's also this, there's also this, there's also this, or, well, you can't just get rid of the whole Bible and just live around two verses or, you know. Um, yeah, so a common pushback will be, well, yeah, love's important, but so is justice. <laughs> like, so right. God holds, but of course they mean justice in a different way than I might mean justice. Maybe mm. that's a bad example, but, um, uh, no, but, I, I think it's a good example because it, it just highlights again that we have a, we have a preexisting notion of justice, right? So maybe, uh, when you're talking about justice, you mean the restorative, you know, uh, more loving justice, that's so right. they've got this concept of a, a punitive justice, right? So yes, when, right. when they go, Oh yeah, God is love and justice. So punitive measures must be in some way loving. Right. And it's like, well, no, no, no. Maybe the whole system of justice that you've got needs to be rebuilt. Yeah. Um, And so I think that that happens in lots of contexts, right. With lots of words or, you know, um, holiness, you know, wrath, you know, all these different words that we pull out. um, We kind of, we have a pre-existing knowledge of what that means. And we're also right. Right. And then we fit it into Jesus. We fit it into love rather than using Jesus to reinterpret it, I guess. Um, Would you agree with that's kind of, the kind of no, I think that's great. Coming against, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was thinking about that uh, even this morning. I was, um, I was walking to my office and thinking about our conversation, and I was reminded of how, like I mentioned earlier, there's about six. So if we're talking just the topic of uh, homosexuality, mm. there's like six verses in the Bible, and 
it seems what the church has done, uh, maybe not intentionally so, but they've sort of grabbed these six verses independently of one another. And, and it's like picking up sticks off the ground and they pick up one from Genesis 19 and they pick up another two from Leviticus. They grab one from Romans one and oh, here's one in one Corinthians and, and one Timothy. And they have these six sticks that all seem to kind of be talking about um, men having sex with men. Uh, one of them mentions uh, lesbianism, so that's helpful. At least women aren't entirely off the hook. And they have these six sticks, and they line them all up, and they're like, oh, that's interesting. We've, we've, we've been able to create uh, a fence out of uh, this. Like, now we, have, we can justify our othering of um, people who identify LGBTQ uh, because we've got this nice wall that we've created out of our six sticks uh, that sort of justify mm. the discrimination. And as soon as you start getting into that sort of mentality, and this goes back to what you were saying about the sort of difference between punitive justice and restorative justice, as soon as you get into that mentality of anything that might feel like exclusion, and I don't care how well justified it is, I don't care how well supported you might think your uh, exclusion um, is, I really don't care. Because as soon as you get into that level of thinking, um, immediately what should come to mind for you is how in the Old Testament, it, when, when, when the Israelites began to get too hyper-focused on uh, sacrifices and the, and the law, and the, as soon as that became a focus, you would have a prophet that would sort of show up like Hosea and say, hey, just a reminder here that what God desires is mercy and not sacrifice. Just so that we're all clear what God, like an Isaiah, like God, I, I hate your festivals. I hate all your sacrifices. I hate what you're doing. Um, and inherently, Miroslav Volf talks about how, how mercy and sacrifice, you could also say embrace and exclusion. So mm. sacrifice inherently excludes it others. It creates difference yeah. uh, and distance between us and God, between us and others. And mercy inherently moves closer. And this is exactly the tradition that Jesus stepped into when he said to the Pharisees, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Sacrifice is picking up these sticks and creating walls and fences that exclude. Uh, mercy is, is, is tearing that down and, and, and moving towards embrace. So if at any point people start thinking that, that yeah, love matters, but also what matters just as much is keeping the correct uh, interpretations of the law and God as this judge. Uh, as soon as we start going in that, we should immediately be confronted by, um, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire embrace and not exclusion. Yeah. So when you're talking about sacrifice, it, it makes me think of um, how ingrained scapegoating is into every society and all of history. Um, and do you think there's, because uh, this is something that I've observed, um, I, and you may be, uh, you might disagree on this, but it does feel like if there's any, you know, any group of people on the planet that Christianity tends to be associated with as um, not liking, not including, explicitly excluding, it does seem to be homosexuals explicitly you know maybe even gay people over lesbians you know i mean they are like whoa we are fixated on this these are the the bad guys whatever that looks like um do you think that is scapegoating uh, is there a scapegoating mechanism in that do you think like my, i guess my question is why homosexuality why is that the thing that if you go across pretty much most denominations within the christianity um, most movements it's homosexuality. That, that tends to be the, the dividing line. Even people that start asking progressive questions, right? Well, we don't really mind. If you start 
question about how, well, we're not okay with that, but you know, maybe if you keep it annihilationism, that's kind of okay. Or, ooh, universalism, just don't say anything. It's fine. But as soon as you bring up homosexuality, that's, that's, that's like a, a huge dividing line. It feels like, I don't know if you've come across this, but in my experience, it's the thing. It's the. That's, no, Why? That's Why the thing? <laughs> Man, I wish I knew the answer to that. I, I think you're absolutely correct in terms of the assessment of uh, the LGBTQ community being our cultural scapegoat at the moment. Um, that's, I think that's 100% accurate. That's where, that's where all of uh, sort of the evangelical angst has been directed at for, for decades now. Um, when I think about the question why, why is this particular topic, why is this particular proverbial line in the sand um, why, why is it this topic? Some of the things that come up for me are how, um, how intensely disconnected, stay with me for a minute because this might get a little bit in the weeds, how intensely disconnected uh, humans are, even specifically modern humans are from our bodies. So we're incredibly disconnected from our bodies. Um, and one of the fallouts from that is that we're disconnected from our sexuality. So we're, 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 we're disconnected from our desires, our likes, um, one could even say our orientation. And so we, we, we end up uh, just sort of checking out because we're so disconnected from our bodies, we, we, we check out from it and we rely on these cultural narratives as, as um, things that we can just blindly follow and, and acquiesce to without having to think about it much. Mm. And so we have these, these significant cultural narratives that have existed for a long time, uh, which is that marriage is between one man and one woman. And so I think the topic of homosexuality, and I think you're right, is even more pointedly talking about two gay men as opposed to two to, um, gay women or any, even the other letters, although you'll notice how transgenderism is so intense right now because it gets even more yeah. into, our, into our space in terms of our bodies and our sexuality. But I think the idea of two men being together is so threatening to men. And again, I'm, I'm picking on men for a minute because we've been the gatekeepers of our yeah. religious traditions and our textbooks and our, and our doctrines uh, and, our, and our power structures within church. We've been the gatekeepers. So we have created the narratives. So we, we are so threatened by the idea of two men being together because it rubs up against our own insecurities with our own bodies. And we can't handle that type of pain. We can't handle that sort of having to, to look at our own selves and be connected to our own bodies in that way. And so what we do, because we can't handle the pain here, we manage it by, uh, projecting and deflecting and as you said scapegoating into others and so we say i can't handle you being so comfortable in your skin that you would do something so countercultural uh and be with another man i can't handle that so i need to control that i need to deem i need to tell you why you're wrong because if i allow myself to consider that maybe there's nothing wrong with that that forces me to then look at my own self and i'm so disconnected from myself and my body that that is too scary uh, for me to do. Um, and, and so then that brings up other conversations like the masculine and the feminine and how we all embody all of that. Um, but we have this toxic masculinity, which is uh, afraid of anything feminine. And so gay men, uh, again, bring online for us this feminine quality and that scares the crap out of us. So we push it away. So I, I don't know if that's the explanation as to why, but I certainly think there's a lot 
there that yeah. terrifies men. And so we have to, um, yeah, we have to attack. That's really interesting. Really interesting. Appreciate you sharing your, your thoughts on that. Um, I, I guess um, I want to be aware of time. We only have maybe like 10, 15 minutes left, but um, I wanted to kind of backtrack a little bit in your story and your journey of like kind of starting to go into this topic of homosexuality question. You know, we talked about, you know, people that are in a particular worldview, um, kind of maybe more rigid, less room for questioning, doubts, all these things. One thing I've observed, and, and you may, may not have observed again, it's from my experience, but a lot of people that do change their uh, opinion on this topic tend to be people that it's hit close to home. So the pain point has been increased, right? So they find out their son's gay, right? Their, I don't know, their daughter's uh, trans, you know, something along those lines happens and the pain point of losing a loved one, because that's kind of the option that a lot of Christians are left with, it, yeah. given their worldview of kind of, you're off, cut you off. The, the pain point of that is more than the pain point of maybe challenging some of my beliefs and my doctrines and having a bit of that existential crisis. And it's because that pain is so high, I'm willing to look at it. And that does seem to be a catalyst for a lot of people. One of the things that jumped off the pages when I read your book, because it was really unique um, from my, my studying and my, my uh, looking at it, um, at least outside of the realms of academia, I think in academia it's a bit different because people are just going after some hard cold facts for the sake of hard cold facts. There's not much more emotion in it a lot of the time, um, even in these emotional topics. Um, was that you didn't seem to have that experience. Now, I might be wrong, maybe, maybe there was, but certainly I didn't pick that up from reading your book. And is that, am I right in that, first of all? Yes, you were right in that. that okay, so, I, I didn't have my, I, I didn't, uh, my first gay friend came after I got fired over my theology. Uh, right. So, so my question is, um, what was it that you have? Because I am sure there are people listening to this podcast that are, the, the hackles are up, they're a bit nervous, they're a bit panicky. Um, probably not too many because most of those have left many, many podcasts ago. Um, they've left my history a long time ago. But I, I'm sure there are some people still holding on going, Phil, I really hope you've got some sort of point here. Um, or you're going to do a switcheroo and turn it all around and be like, ha ha. Um, what, what would you say to people that are in that place um, that you carried? What, what, what was it about the way you do life, the way maybe you read the scriptures, the way you perceive things? It, was there something that you saw in the way you did life then that was different than the people around you that would cause you to ask those questions, want to know the answers? Do you know what I mean about that? Because I yeah, think you are quite great. a unique person in that sense. Yeah, I think your question is well, well put. Uh, and you're right. You're right in that, um, statistically speaking, the majority of Christians who do have a change of uh, heart and or mind on this subject, it is, the catalyst is someone near them uh, identifying as LGBTQ. And I just need to say, like, that is, for whatever reason, that experience gets dismissed by a lot of people, maybe in the more conservative who are still yeah. in the Well, a lot of people kind of say, oh, well, you just, you know, it's that whole thing of giving up your true Christian beliefs to become more worldly or, you Yeah, know. yeah. You're only, you only changed your mind because your son came out. Well, okay, can you stop for just one second and take one step back and say, isn't that, isn't the most loving thing you could do for someone in your life when they come to you with this information is to... Uh, open up your heart and your ears to listen and learn from them. Like, isn't that the most loving thing to do? Uh, and so people who just shut that down immediately, 
like that's not love. The loving thing is to like listen and, and to learn and maybe that will lead to a heart and mind change. Great. Um, but I just want to say like that for people that for whom that is their journey, that's the most courageous thing they could have done because you're out, you said it well, like they realized the pain of, of, of being disconnected from this person. Um, I'm able to say is greater than whatever fear I have over changing my belief. And when, and whenever that gets out of, out of whack and people again, because we think the most important thing to God is that we have the right answer. And so we lock it down with everything that we have. Um, the damage of that is just intense because then we aren't, we aren't being moved by the people around us in their pain. Okay. Back to your question for me, I, the best way I can try to identify for me, why, this became a particular topic that I invested so much time and energy into when I didn't really have a personal dog in the fight. I think one of the best ways for me to describe that is two things. One, I've discovered through uh, therapy and spiritual direction that one of the most important things to me is a sense of integrity. And I don't mean integrity by like doing the right thing when nobody's looking. I mean the other sense of integrity, which is being um, integrated, being connected, being aligned. And what I've found throughout my life is that whenever my exterior world is not lined up with my inner world, that is a significant problem for me. Like I have to match my insides with my outsides. Okay, so that's one part. The other thing is a few years before shifting my theology to become open and affirming, which is a shorthand way of saying I'm totes down with gay people. Uh, a few years before that, I started to have some other shifts in my understanding of things such as uh, what the kingdom of God really was. So kingdom of God is not some place we go and we die. It's a reality of uh, on earth here now that Jesus said is among you, is within you. Um, so I, I realized that. Then I realized that Jesus is one of his primary missions in life was to be a liberator for oppressed people, to go to the margins, to go to the, the people who, for whom uh, society has said, you need to stay outside of uh, the family of God. Jesus goes to them and says, no, 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 like you have a seat at the table of God with your name on it. Come on, like the party can't start till you get here. And so when I started to have these realizations that, that part of my calling as a human was to help inaugurate the kingdom uh, implement the kingdom of God here and that Jesus's focus was to go to the margins, the people who history has um, put on the outside. I think that, that, that created for me this sense of, huh, it's clear, as we stated a few minutes ago, it's clear that um, people who identify LGBTQ, not just the church, but society as a whole has kind of said like, you are, you are other, you are an abomination, you are outside. And and then I had to say, okay, what is that based on? Because I know that for me at that time, it was just like, oh, the Bible says homosexuality is a sin. That should be the end of the conversation. Not realizing that I'd never actually spent time looking at these six verses. I really, I really hadn't spent any more time than just a cursory reading and like, oh, well, the plain meaning of the text, I guess, says this. And, I, and for me, I thought, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. Like, I owe it to the hurting people of this world to try a little bit harder than a Google search is homosexuality a sin and getting one verse in one Corinthians six, nine that confirms what I already wanted to believe. I owe, I, I owe it to people uh, um, who are hurting to try a little harder than that. And so that set me on a course to be like, you know what, I, whatever the outcome is going to be, I need to study these clobber passages and really 
get a sense for what my conviction is. Mm. Uh, and then it was through that process that I did see, oh, there is no reason, there's no good reasons to take these six verses to continue to perpetuate and justify uh, a discrimination of keeping gay people outside. Like it's not there. The, 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 the evidence is not there. Uh, the, the rational approach is not there. Um, I can't do it anymore. So that was my insides. Like all of a sudden I realized, oh man, I, I guess I'm okay with gay people. I guess, I guess they're actually loved sons and daughters and children of God just, just like I am. Uh, I guess I can, I can imagine how God would completely be uh, enthralled and enchanted by two people of the same sex having a, a relationship. Um, so when that changed, then my outsides, though, I was still in a, a conservative evangelical church world where that was not, as we discussed earlier in the episode, mm. wasn't safe to talk about couldn't bring those questions up, couldn't, couldn't, couldn't open myself up and say, hey, this is what I think about these things now. It wasn't safe anymore. And so I was living in that period of, of being uh, out of alignment for, for, yeah. for quite a while. And it was painful. It was painful to, to exist on the outside in a different way than I felt on the inside. And as I talk about in the book, that eventually sort of led to this Facebook post uh, of saying that I was happy that the president repealed Don't Ask, Don't Tell in September of 2011. Uh, and that Facebook post led to kind of a, a scapegoating of me, a witch hunt for me, uh, which led to a board meeting of them saying, Colby, we need to know what you think about sexuality. And then when I fully came out of the theological closet and told them that's what led three days later to me getting fired. But yeah, so it, where did this come from? It came from me out of this, uh, this discovery of what Jesus was about, what matters most to God, and then my own sense of like, I need to figure this out and then, and then live that. Uh, in truth yeah that's so good i really appreciate you sharing that because i think a, a lot of people around this podcast that is their outlook you know and, and we, we talk about this a lot with a lot of guests we, we talk about in our discussion groups we have and things like that that you know ultimately questioning is never a bad thing either you find out that you're right and you have a better argument for it you understand the different arguments against it and how to you know uh, answer them or whatever or you find out i'm wrong which hurts but it's great because you were wrong and now you're right, right? Or at least maybe you're yep. a step closer to being right. Um, so right. there's a big gap between those two. Um, yeah. But, but I, I think having that outlook of, of, of questioning, of looking into things, of, of challenging what you believe, I guess that that's something you'd already instilled in yourself, um, which uh, maybe was quite unique in, in the context you, you were in perhaps. Um, but I think, uh, I guess those are the, those are the people that... Um, as we have these conversations, those are the people that you want to have the conversation with really. And, and having the wisdom to uh, know when you're talking to people, is this person someone that's even open to having these conversations or is, is this just me talking to a brick wall right. um, and, right. and the wisdom to just take a step back. And um, yeah, I, I loved your story. So for those that are, uh, haven't read Colby's book, go get his book. Um, it's called Unclobbered. It's brilliant. But I love that you did every other chapter. So you dealt with a, a passage, you know, one of the clobber texts, you know, you start with Genesis, you go to Leviticus, but either, uh, every other chapter, you, you told your story and you told how it un unwound and, um, you were really raw. You were really real. You were really honoring. I, I love that, that, uh, you know, it's a painful, awful experience. And I've experienced things like that in church before and it hurts. And, and what's amazing is you managed to convey your pain, but not, um, not take it out on anyone else in that telling of that story. And I'm, I'm sure maybe a few nights sharing with friends, there's been some 
hurt come out, you know, in, in some of your storytelling. But but in the book, I thought you did a really great job of honoring uh, where you came from, where, where they were at as well. Uh, I thought you did really well with that. So yeah, I, I really recommend that book as well for people that are trying to navigate that. And um, I know for me, just bringing out this course that I did, um, most of the people that listen to this podcast, most of the people that are in my audience are, are maybe um, probably from a more conservative, uh, evangelical, uh, I hesitate to use the words traditional because what that even means uh, is so messy, you know, um, but um, that's where they're coming from. And, and I think um, for me, it was, it was a, in some ways, it was a scary choice to go, you know what, this is where I'm at. Uh, and I've done it again and again in lots of areas for, for me, similar kind of journeys, figuring out, wait, I'm not sure I think of the kingdom as just this far off place we go when we die. I, I want the kingdom yeah. now. I want this kingdom Jesus is talking about now. And yeah. um, some of those things starting to, but I guess some people would say, well, is this just a slippery path? Are you just, are you, did you let one, one, one of the, one of those irrefutable true things, did you take one of the, the blocks out and everything started to crumble? You know, it, it, how, how would you answer that? Maybe a, a Maybe you don't answer that. Maybe you just go, maybe so. <laughs> um. I was trained in college um, at a conservative Christian college. I was trained to fear the slippery slope. Mm. Um, but what I can tell you now is the slippery slope is real, but it's not bad. Yeah. It's real, but it's not bad. Like, yes, once you start taking out one Jenga piece or once you start knocking one domino over, um, there will be others that fall, but that's not a, but that's not a bad thing. It's only, it's only bad. Again, it's only bad if God really does care most that we have the correct answers. But I think mm -hmm. we can safely reject that based on the life and teachings of Jesus. Um, yeah. So the slippery slope is real. Like you will probably start uh, pulling the thread and the thing may just unravel more than Man, I went from a Jenga metaphor to dominoes to pulling a thread. Uh, <laughs> I have a metaphor issue. Um, yeah, so the slippery slope is real, but it's not bad. And I do want to uh, say one last thing, Phil, about sort of why I do this. Because I shared a bit about like, how it started for me. Um, but a lot of people ask me why like, why did I write the book. Um, I, got, I got quite a bit of pushback when the book came out, not from conservative Christians, but from people within the LGBTQ community who um, saw me as the straight white guy who is like um, co-opting the voice of LGBTQ people. Mm. And I, I think that criticism has a place and it's valid and it makes sense. Um, but I don't, but I think we can't stop there. And here's why. One of my favorite uh, stories comes from the gospel of Luke. Um, in fact, Matthew and Mark talk about it too, but I love Luke's version. Jesus is walking through Jericho with a bunch of his disciples and there's a, a blind man on the side of the road. I think Luke names him as Bartimaeus. And the blind man, sensing that Jesus is, is near, yells out, uh, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And his disciples are a little bit annoyed at the man. So they say, like, hush, be quiet. Jesus doesn't have time for you. Like, we've got important things to do. And the man just yells louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he's able to, like, catch the ear of Jesus. Uh, and so Jesus stops walking. Now, he could have, because he had in other places, done some long-distance healing. Um, he, he certainly could have just from afar, he could have maybe spit and made some mud and like flung it 40 yards and hit Bartimaeus in the face and have healed. He could have done all sorts of things in that moment. But what Jesus did is he turned to his disciples and he said, uh, go get him and bring him to me. Now, why does that matter? Because it was just moments ago that the disciples were restricting access for this man 
to Jesus. They were the gatekeepers. They had built the wall that said, no, you aren't important enough. Uh, you're, you have your own issues. You are on the outside. You can't get to Jesus. And when Jesus is aware of that, he says to the people who just got done restricting access, he said, your job is to go get him and bring him to me. I'm conscious, Phil, of how my people, <laughs> my straight white uh, men have been the ones historically that have uh, created uh, walls and barriers that have restricted access for LGBTQ people. Mm. So I hear very clear a calling in my life to be part of the process of breaking that wall down and going out to the people on the margins and saying, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry for what I've done, what I've been a part of and what has been done to you. Um, you matter to God just as you are. And, and we need you. The family of God is not complete without you. Uh, so please uh, forgive me and, and, and let's, let's go together um, and do this life thing together. So that's why I, uh, that's why I wrote the book. That's why I keep doing what I do because um, yeah, because it matters that, uh, that, that we do this work. Wow. I love that. Colby. I love your heart, man. Honestly. Um, I think that's beautiful. And I think you have a voice that let's face it. A lot of conservative evangelical Christians are not going to read a book by um a gay christian because they don't even believe gay christians can exist you know but never mind you know maybe someone that's even outside of christianity you know or or whatever and so i think the fact that you wrote this from a place of look i'm a person that loves the bible i love jesus i i even have a gay friend before i started looking at this you know it's like i i am i'm not i've got some big agenda i'm just asking questions and this is what i've come to and and i'd love for you to engage with that and um, yeah, honestly, thank you so much for, um, making time. I really, oh, really, you're so welcome. It's my pleasure, man. Yeah. So if people were listening, they love what they heard, which I'm sure they all did. Maybe 99%. Let's be, uh, gracious enough to the few that maybe <laughs> pulling their hair out of this conversation. Um, where do they find more? We mentioned your book on clobber you can get that anywhere. Absolute cool. resource. Um, yep. What else can they, uh, how yeah, else can they probably the, the easiest thing to do, uh, if they're interested, they can either follow me online at Colby Martin on most of the platforms, C O L B Y M A R T I N. Um, okay. I've got a website, Colby Martin That's kind of a, a, a hub for resources, uh, blog posts, articles, books, my wife and mine's podcast, um, our, the sermons that I preach at our church. You can find them all there. Um, but generally if you just Google my name, you'll find your way. Cause I think the only other, I tried to get colbymartin.com years ago and there was some realtor in Kansas that had snagged it up. And I'm like, come on, once you've sold enough homes, can you let the domain die and I'll grab it. <laughs> but anyways, uh, it's pretty easy to find me out there. Uh, I'd, I'd love to love to connect with you. And yeah, the book is called unclobber. You can also find it at unclobber.com. It's got its own fun little website. Perfect. And also I'll say this, you, um, you actually have uh, videos on YouTube as well that go through some of those yeah. key passages. I don't, I don't think you, do you That's do right. all of them? Um, or is it just a few of them? I can't remember. I don't do, I don't do Genesis, but, um, right. but yeah, I do, I do Leviticus, yeah. Romans, and then Corinthians and Timothy. Great. And so, yeah. So if you just Google um, or YouTube search uh, Colby Martin and whatever passage you, you most have on your heart as well, that's like a, maybe a good introduction if you're not willing to shell out whatever it is for a book, $8 or whatever it is. I mean, it's not much. Yeah. But people are precious. I'm precious over my, my $8 I spend on books. So, Why not? Um, yes. Yeah, absolutely. 
Oh, dude, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Hopefully we'll, we'll have you back on and, uh, and do some other stuff as well in the future. Uh, but yeah, thanks so much. All right. Thanks, Phil. All right. That was Colby Martin. What a great guy. I really enjoyed that myself. Um, hope you did too. I'm assuming since you made it this far, you did. Um, if that's got your mind kind of spinning at 100 miles an hour, thinking about a bunch of different stuff, um, I encourage you to check out check out his podcast, check out his, uh, his website. He, he writes some great blogs over there. Um, he's got the book, as I mentioned as well. And, and I did find that book to be a really good um, non-academic. It just wasn't too dense or heavy, but it really did cover the 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 nitty gritty it was really it was really good um very accessible his story is is really wonderful as well to read really challenging and um and just encouraging as well to to hear about someone going through um such a tough time and seeing god move in such wonderful ways in his life um obviously if you want to go into more depth on the topic of homosexuality explicitly um you can check out my module on thegracecourse.com um i've tried to be as unbiased as possible obviously i have my perspective my view um, but I, I talk through the different perspectives that different groups have come to, how they tackle different Bible verses. I talk about the history um, of, of, you know, a lot of our tradition, the Christianity, Judaism. I talk about the, the cultures that they find themselves in, in Mesopotamian culture, Greek culture, Roman culture, these kind of things. Um, trying to look at it as unbiased as possible, talk about the pros and cons from each perspective, how different people tackle um, the different uh, stumbling blocks they have in front of them to, to come to different perspectives, different conclusions. And um, I, I know we all like black and white, uh, nice clean cut um, answers to our theological questions, but in my opinion, this one isn't uh, black and white. I'm fairly... Uh, hard on what i believe today you know my conviction is solid it's strong um but it, it's it's something that i've had to you know bite the bullet and go okay where am i going to fall on this topic because it's not 100 percent black and white it is a complex topic um and so if you want to look into that topic i think we all um we owe it to ourselves to do the due diligence of studying this of, of, of researching and, and and being more informed I, I feel a lot of people have not informed themselves have not done the study um, and are very quick to um, shoot down anyone who holds a different opinion and actually when we do the studying when we look into it a bit ourselves we understand this is a complex topic it, it does require a bit of work to understand where different people are coming from and once we have done work we become a bit more open to understanding different views and, I, and I, that's my heart is not to change anyone's opinion um, if people change their opinion that's wonderful but my heart is to help people um, come to an informed uh, prayerful um, spirit-led decision um, and so, yeah, I, I do encourage you to check out that module over on thegracecourse.com. And obviously there's all these interviews I do. If you're not into podcasts, uh, there's videos of the interviews over on thegracecourse.com. Some great people that, um, you know, we've done that with. Um, and there's dozens of hours of teaching on a whole bunch of different topics as well. Hell, identity. There's a series on Romans. There's some stuff on judgment. There's just lots of great stuff there if you want to dive in, um, as always. But for now, I will leave you to it. I pray that you are blessed, that you know how blessed you are, that you know how loved you are, and that it overflows into every area of your life as you go forth into this week. Be blessed, my friend.